Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Fifty one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One, fly ball, deep left center. Chris on the run. Yes, 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 yes. Give it up, Brad. Just giving you a championship. A twenty-five lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. High five ball. Built to right center. And the Braves have won it. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, back to right. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 88 of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast. I am Adam Herbert, but you know me better as Doc. With me, as always, or whenever I'm lucky enough to have him, it is Dylan Short. Dylan, buddy, how's it going? You know, it's a very interesting day. We've heard a lot of interesting stuff, but there's one thing that I think is more important than anything else. And Doc, I think you have something to share with the listeners. Oh, I do. I do. We here at TPS are supported by the fine folks at Armchair Media, and we also have some new friends over at Manscaped. There's plenty of men out there who are more than happy to be hairy as apes, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as we're talking about a, a really good beard or some Dansby Swanson level flow. That's all good. But what about what about down below? Are you really going to let your trousers overflow because you're too scared to put a razor that close to your undercarriage? Well, good news. Manscaped can ensure that your junk no, no longer needs to look like it belongs on the Wolfman. Step out of 1977 and into 2019. There's no reason to have disco balls when you could use the Lawnmower 2.0, the brand new below the waist trimmer from Manscaped. The Lawnmower 2.0 has skin safe technology, which ensures that if you snag your sack on anything, it will not be this trimmer. Manscaped also offers an anti chafing ball deodorant, which your wife has been low key trying to tell you for a very long time that you need. If you go to manscaped.com, use our promo code armchair. You'll get 20% off with free shipping. That's 20% off the price and not off of your privates. Believe me, you can take way more than 20% off your privates if you use Manscaped. Only the best for your britches. It's Manscaped. You'll be looking forward to trimming. That's actually a <laughs> lie. That's actually a lie. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. No one looks forward to it. But it won't be such a hassle anymore. By the way, uh, all you guys out there, definitely get yourself a gift. Go go through there. That's actually a fantastic value. They did... Uh, Full disclosure, TMI information time. They did send. They do send. Uh, they sent me the the package that they sell. Fantastic. 
Smells like sandalwood. Smells like rich mahogany. Everything you could want. And by the way, everything that your woman wanted you to do, it's in that package. So do the right thing, guys. Go to Manscaped and use our promo code. There you go. So like you had alluded to just a minute ago, man, it's been a, it's been a very interesting very interesting day. A lot of different things going on in Braves country right now. Where would you like to begin? You know, it's we, we could start at a number of places. Um, we did have our first couple fight, which we'll, we'll discuss because I'm, I'm feeling a little hurt. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but <laughs> l- let's just start with the biggest news that everybody's really been waiting on once the season ended, and that was the four players that the Braves would either pick the options, uh, decline or accept the options, uh, and the qualifying offer. So obviously, obviously, Josh Johnson got a qualifying offer. There were a few thoughts that maybe... Alex had had promised Josh that he wouldn't put a qualifying offer on him. That's just not smart business. The Braves did that for one simple reason: if they don't pony up and get Josh Donaldson, somebody else buys him. Uh, if they if he gets fifty million or more, the Braves will get a competitive balance round A pick, or right after, right in between the first round and comp round A or comp balance A. Uh, if he signs for less than fifty million, they will get a pick between a sandwich pick between the second round and comp round B. So just a, a smart way of doing things. Josh Donaldson's going to get more than eight was 18.2 this year. He'll get more than 18.2. Um, so it's a pretty good bet that if the Braves don't resign him, they're getting at least a pick on him. Um, it, it, it'll bring up an interesting question that we might get to here in just a second when we're talking about free agents and those that received qualifying offers. It was a weird day. Um, but the three that everybody really wanted to talk about are kind of three players that pretty much split Braves country down the middle. Uh, Let's start with probably the least controversial, and that's Tyler Flowers. Um, Don't be fooled when it says that the Braves declined his options. They did some weird accounting stuff by declining uh, Tyler's option. By declining the option, they they had to pay his $2 million buyout, which goes on to the 2019 payroll, and then they signed him for $4 million, to go to the 2020 payroll. Basically, they saved themselves $2 million to bring Tyler back. Um, how do you feel about that? I think that's a really funky accounting quirk. Uh, somebody's really been paying attention to the rules of what you can do and what you can't. I've never even heard of something like that before. Well, there's a reason, by the way. For, for, for those of you that are wondering why they might do it, don't forget every team in Major League Baseball received like $56 million last year for the sale. Um, so the Braves had extra money last year, and Bear in mind that point. I, I will bring that up at some point later in the show. Um, but it it's, makes a lot of sense when you add money to last year's payroll because you had the the balloon available to go into that banner without affecting what your normal type of payroll would be. So uh, find they find a way to save themselves $2 million, uh, $2 million there. They did the same thing with Nick Marcakis, declined his $2 million option, um, and then signed him for a $4 million deal. Basically the exact same deal as Tyler Flowers. Uh, now, we know the Marcakis one will be um, a, a lively debate between certain factions of the fan base, but the Tyler Flowers one, to me, I think it's a good one to start with. Um, I'm not shocked that they brought Tyler Flowers back. I mean, they, they have to have somebody. They do. They think a lot of Shea Langoliers, and they think a lot of William Contreras. They think both of those guys could be ready by 2021. Um, and you always need somebody who can be an experienced backup, somebody who works well with pitchers, and Tyler does that. Even if he's not hitting, he's a very good framer. You guys know my feelings on it. I probably wouldn't have done it. 
uh, I'm a big fan of Yasmani Grandal, and even if you don't get Grandal, uh, Robinson Chirinos is a guy that I really do like as well, and I think would be a, a, a under the radar fit. But for four million dollars, that's a good price for a backup catcher, especially one who's got a, a very good specialty. Even if he's not good at the other qualities of making him a catcher, uh, he, he does have one specialty that provides a lot of value. And it's easy to drill down on the pass balls. And, and this wasn't your eyes deceiving you during the end of the season. I mean, it, it really it really did get worse. It was like he had the yips, kind of. But the amount of pass balls versus the amount of impact that he has with the actual framing, you know, because, I mean, you have the opportunity to, to steal, you know, at least – at least a couple strikes every single inning, you know what I mean? If if not for every single at bat. So, and the, the pass balls are not nearly as impactful negatively as the framing is positively. So, and with BMAC retiring, this was pretty much a foregone conclusion. I think it's going, unless they wind up getting somebody like a Grandal or, or what they, whatever they would have done last year, if, if they were able to get real Muto, plug him in as your everyday guy. And then, have flowers come in and catch uh, I don't know forty games, or, or or something like that, and just to you know playing day games after night games. So this isn't horrible. It's it's not great. I mean, I was pretty impulsive at, at the end of the season. I said you know I wanted them to decline this and go a different direction. So you can you can do a lot worse than Tyler Flowers. And I know a lot of people are starting to kind of rally against some of the advanced metrics and stuff and say, well, this right here is proof that these metrics don't work because it's saying Tyler Flowers is a good catcher. Well, I mean, Tyler Flowers is, he is a good catcher. So, um, uh, he's, he's not. I, I'm kind of one foot in, one foot out. I do think that they wait. I do think Fancrafts waits the framing too much uh, in terms of what the catcher actually does. So I think there there should be, if you're going to wait the framing that much, then I think pass ball should play an even larger role than they do because it it is... You can you can say there's not as many pass balls as there are chances to frame a pitch, and that's absolutely true. Um, but you tell me what the difference is between uh, one catcher who frames 112 balls, or let's say he steals—I don't even know what the correct number of stealing strikes is—but let's say let's say Tyler Flowers steals 46 strikes over the over the course of a season. Uh, let's say Robinson Chirinos. Uh, let's say he steals 27 or 32. Is that is that really that large of a gap when you talk about a guy that has 16 pass balls? And I don't know what Chirinos has, but a normal catcher um, playing. By the way, Tyler had 16 pass balls in really part-time duty. Um, so even if you average his out to a full season, you're talking in the 20s for his pass balls. And most normal catchers, I would imagine, are somewhere around 12, 12 or 13 for a full season's worth of work. To me, to me, that's a bigger difference because it does affect the pitch calling. It affects the location, and it affects the confidence that pitchers have to, say, bury a curveball in the dirt. Um, it's not to say that Tyler's bad. I think what you said, you can do a lot worse. That's very true. You can also do a lot better. I think if you're talking about him as a backup catcher or even a, an occasional platoon catcher, then he's fine. Um, but as far as a true starter, those days are done. Yeah, fully, fully agreed. And I, I would like to change my earlier statement from, statement from saying, Tyler Flowers is a good catcher to saying Tyler Flowers is not a bad catcher. How about that? Is that is that does that hit the mark a little better? <laughs> yeah, I think that jives a little bit more. All right, cool. uh, he, he's just kind of that's that's one of those things too where that's going to be one of those metrics where you can point at just like there's people like the guy that we're about to talk about who if you only use one certain set of metrics looks better than they actually are. Flowers is another one of those cases. He's one of those illusions um, by guys that. 
that focus too solely on one number instead of uh, using the eye test. This is Tyler. Guys like Tyler Flowers, Nick Marcakis, even Joey Gallo are a perfect reason why you don't want to be solely one way. You don't want to solely be eye tests. You don't want to solely be analytics. You need to have a mixture of both because analytically, it would tell you that Tyler Flowers is like a top 10 catcher in baseball. Uh, analytically, it would tell you that Joey Gallo is one of the best players in baseball, one of the most valuable players in baseball. Eye test would tell you, or uh, eye test would tell you otherwise. Although for a lot of last year, Gallo looked like he was finally going to fulfill some of that promise. But it, it is good to, it, it's a good illustration to show that things are always evolving and, and you can't get bogged down in just one particular area. Well, of course. I mean, and that, that's kind of the, the caveat that we always like to throw out whenever we talk about any advanced analytics. I mean, you, you, can, you can learn a lot. Once you start digging into these numbers, you can tell a lot about a player. But you can't just abandon the eye test. So it helps to know how all of these different metrics are constructed. And, and that, that's where you can kind of start to see them jive if you know exactly what formulas to go into this so you know what to what to look for when you've got the eye test. So and in some cases that stuff is is over over my head. I try not to talk about any of the advanced analytics stuff that I don't, that I don't fully understand because I don't want to be outed as being like a poser or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's my worst nightmare. So you did kind of reference Nick Marcakis though. He was the he was the next one. He's as divisive of a brave as I can remember, man. And they brought him back, like you said. They they got the the two million dollar buyout, which credits the last year, and he he rolls forward with four million dollars in twenty twenty. He's a fine guy. He's a he's a good man. Nick Marquez is. I'm sure he's a great dad, and he's probably really good at stuff like I don't know camping. He's probably like a really good cook or something. He's probably a great whittler. Like he he's probably great with a whittle. Yeah, like can't you see him sitting in a rocking chair on his front porch, just like making a cane for somebody or whatever, you know. But when it comes to his ability as a right fielder, he's th- this is this has kind of always been my biggest thing with him is it, once again it's not that he's bad it's that he's so plain he is like vanilla yogurt every time I see him with like a really good beard so it's not that he's necessarily bad and he's not necessarily a detriment to the team yeah his defense has kind of fallen down in recent years and his his arms not what it used to be and neither is his range but as far as a hitter goes against righties. He's fine, but like he's a right fielder. This is a power position, and you can, yes, he does hit a lot of doubles, and yes, he hits for average, and if this was 1987, I would be so excited. I just, when you look at some of the guys that are playing right field, they just seem more spectacular. You know, he, this, Marcelo Zuna is, is not vanilla yogurt with a really good beard. He's like, uh, I don't know, what's like a really good yogurt? I don't even eat yogurt. I, I don't even know why I'm using this analogy. Mar- Marcelo Zuna is like, a passion fruit yogurt really good there's a little bit of a funky aftertaste sometimes but when it's good it's really really good and really impactful i like the yogurt analogy by the way especially because nick is also greek which is a pretty good comparison that's why that's why he makes me think of yogurt all the time (laughs) but uh i i agree with you there and i'm going to take a step further nick was not good last year um now this is one of those where if you are only into batting average, what he hit two eighty five last year, mm-hmm. um, you could you could pin that and say, hey, batting average was good. Um, there's a reason why teams don't go by batting average anymore. And even if batting average is your favorite stat, and I'm not telling you that it can't be your favorite stat, but you have to at least be honest enough with yourself to realize that that is not what 
the people that make these decisions and get paid millions of dollars to make these decisions are actually using to to check themselves. They're using things like weighted runs created plus. They're using things like offensive war. They're using OBP. Um, was uh, any any of these stats OPS OPS plus? That, that's what these guys are using. They're using it for a reason because it's more impactful. Because too many guys can batting average is, is too malleable. When you talk about things like BABIP, that's how you get Chris Johnson signed to a horrendous extension because he BABIPed everybody to death one year and had a career year by like 60 points on his batting average. And almost what did he win the batting title? If he didn't win it, he got really close. He was right there. Um, that's how you get yourself messed up. And, and as the game continues to get older and new minds start entering the field and you start kind of branching out away from the same good old boy club, new ideas start to form. And that, that's one of the things that hurts Marcakis. Um, he was a point four value last year. And if you got anybody who's telling me, and I come across this a lot and I'm not trying to call anybody out per se, uh, but this narrative that he was great until he got hurt is just not true. Um, if you look at his rankings, he was the 22nd ranked right fielder, not 22nd ranked outfielder, 22nd ranked right fielder. There are 30 starting right fielders. And he was 22nd offensively. Now, overall, he was 28th, which lets you know that the defense is not real. And I know he won a gold glove, and I know that sounds cool. Derek Jeter won five gold gloves, and he's got like a negative 200 DRS. He's going to be the worst defensive shortstop in the Hall of Fame. The biggest problem, as I see it with Marquecas, has been the usage. And agree. Yeah, and and we. It's he's fine against righties. You know he shouldn't be hitting fifth, but but I think you can you can start to see that like as soon as word leaked that they were picking up the option. Here's a statement from Anthopoulos where he's like, "We've already talked to him about a platoon. Don't worry. We're this. We're gonna nip this in the bud." And granted, last year when they signed Donaldson, Anthopoulos was like, Camargo's playing everywhere. And he, and by playing everywhere, it was like, yeah, he's going to play in Atlanta and he's going to play in Gwinnett um, instead of like playing multiple positions. So if you can be in an actual scenario where he's not going to bat fifth every single day, like even moving him to sixth is fine, but he's just not an everyday player anymore. And, and, when you start looking at the idea of a platoon for right now, it's so early in the, in the off season that we have to just kind of take what we hit, what we've got. We can't assume that there's going to be, you know, that Mark Akis and, you know, I was just talking about Ozuna. We can't assume that the two of them are going to be like, um, fighting for the same spot or something. So let's say Mark Akis and Duvall with Duvall, who has, uh, historically matches against lefties is going to, going to wind up playing against Southpaws and Mark Akis is going to play against righties. Well, there's a lot more righties than than there are lefties. So instead of playing 145 games, which or 130 something games because he he missed about a month with a broken hand, then you know Marquez is going to play 120 something still. And it's the higher he, up he bats. I mean, everybody had a fit when he was batting cleanup for years, and then he moved back to fifth, which didn't seem as bad until. The power just wasn't there, and the the de- and once the defense started to go, you can just kind of see it crumbling around the edges. So, I am inspired by the fact that it happened this early in the off season because we we were like and we talked about it all all off season. I was like, they are going to get Bryce Harper. The Braves are going to sign him. I know it is true, 
and then they signed Marcakis in like January and we had been waiting for this giant splash and it was just like a drop. And now it's like, I feel like they've got so much more time. They, they've got a lot of space to move around and explore things and they don't have to just settle for him and having him now, they can say, if this is the worst case scenario, okay, we'll deal with it, but we have time to write the ship here. So, while I would like there to be somebody in place who's going to, you can count on to be a little bit more productive, this isn't the worst thing that ever happened. So, I don't know. I'm um, I'm neutral again. What do you know? This is one of those things where I have a certain reputation when it comes to Nick Markakis. Um, you outlined it pretty well. It's not necessarily Markakis. Uh, I do wish that the Braves had their sight in it. I wish the, I wish the Braves had just nipped it in the bud entirely, and that Alex had taken away that temptation. Because really, it's Snicker. It, it, it's not necessarily Markakis. Um, I would hazard a guess that twenty-seven other GMs would know that Markakis should not be playing every day, and definitely should not be batting fifth in their lineup. Um, but with Brian Snicker, that's that's his thing. He has his guys that he loves. He asks it. He he basically lets his vets kind of do whatever they want, and he likes batting Nick. Fifth, and he doesn't like to, to to do anything as far as giving guys days off or, or running out different lineups. He wants to do the same thing every single day, every single game, and you can't do that. And I'm sure Alex had a talk with him, but I don't I don't really feel strongly about it because he had the same talk with him last year and nothing happened. Um, if you can if you can tell me that Marcakis bats seventh, then that's fine. I don't I don't need him batting fifth because he's not the type of guy who's going to affect the game with enough power to where that that's actually going to work defensively I do worry how he's going to be in left field it's better for his arm that he's in left field because his arm is very weak now but left field in SunTrust Park is a lot rangier now granted when you have Ender there Ender can shade because Ronald has enough range to where he can he can basically patrol those two together Ender and, and Acuna they can make up for the fact that Marcakis is essentially a statue they can make up for that um the problem when you're talking about a platoon, Marcakis, is it's such a strong side platoon. You and I were talking about this before the show. There are 12 left-handed starters in the National League. One of those is on the Braves. We don't know what's going to happen with Dallas Keuchel. We don't know if he's going to go back to the American League or if he's going to stay in the National League. Uh, and if the Braves do end up adding one of the guys that we're going to talk about in the second segment, that would put them at 10. So that would put the Braves at 2 and 10 other lefties. So that would mean Marcakis would still be getting around 140 games. So you're still going to have to manage his his innings and his games played because 140 is too much. He needs to be right at around, ideally, if you can get him around 120, that'd be great. But ideally, he needs to be under 135. Uh, when you start getting into areas like this, it, it starts coming off like you don't like the player. I, I kind of feel bad because Marcakis gets all this hate from me, and it's really not Marcakis. I could not care less about Nick Marcakis one way or the other. It's the perception of him as this, for whatever reason, this great baseball player, and it's the way he's utilized by the manager. And I should be more angry at Snicker than I am Marcakis. Um, so this year, I am going to do a much better job of it. But like you said, it's really early in the offseason, so there's there's no reason to, to get all bent out of shape about it right now. Because the difference is there are still basically every right fielder that's available is still available. So the Braves still have every opportunity to upgrade and call me a sucker for for believing it a second time. But I think they will. I I think they know that you can't have 
that you can't have a nine home run hitter batting fifth in today's baseball. You just can't do it. So I, I, I think that they'll continue to look to upgrade outfield, whether that's Mookie Betts, who we, you and I can both hope for, or whether it's somebody else, maybe a Marcelo Zuna. We'll, we'll talk about that as free agency rolls around. But for right now, I'm going to reserve judgment, and I'm going to be looking more at Snicker than I am at Marquegas. I think that's fair. And I wonder if you'll see late-inning defensive replacements because Adam Duvall, if he's going to be on the team, then he's a much better defender than Marquegas is. And so you know, this past year we had uh, had a Billy Hamilton you could throw out there, that, you know, to at least for, for a little bit of the year. And you feel better knowing that you've got a guy who's got blazing speed who's, you know, he's a two-tool player and his defense is one of his tools. <laughs> so with Duvall, you can you can make the case for him to be playing in the seventh, eighth, ninth. So we'll see. It's I think the thing I think the thing that bothers me most is that you did miss out an opportunity to upgrade your left-handed right fielder. Um, what happened with Cole Calhoun? You and I have talked about Cole Calhoun. God, I've been talking about Cole Calhoun on the Braves for what seems like three years now. Um, but Cole Calhoun is is a nice illustration of of what we're talking about of having a guy who can bat fifth. Now Cole Calhoun's going to hit two thirty five. He's not going to hit 285, but he hits 30 home runs. He plays decent def- or he plays Marcakis level defense. It's two sides of the coin, but Calhoun is a little bit is more valuable because he's he affects the game more often because he drives in runs by himself. He he drives in other people. He's got power that pitchers have to respect it. Um, so that does hurt a little bit. Corey Dickerson as well, although I I just don't think the Braves are really all that high on Corey Dickerson. They've had a number of opportunities to acquire him the past few years and. They've never really sniffed out on him. The Calhoun one sucks because I, I don't think he would have gotten paid any more than Nick. You maybe you would have had to pay him six million because he's got thirty home run power. Um, but such is life, Doc. You and I pretty much never get what we want in terms of free agent signings. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just continue my Cole Calhoun love as he as he goes somewhere else. You know, I was trying to trying to orchestrate a deal with the Angels that would have sent Julio Tehran out there for Cole Calhoun, straight up imperfect players who could really benefit both sides. But as it turns out, Cole Calhoun and Julio Tehran were, they had their options declined within about 40 minutes of each other the other day. So it's entirely possible that Calhoun could come to the Braves and Tehran could go to the Angels, but it's going to take a lot more string pulling to make something like that happen. And I'll tell you what, man, even for, even for not trusting Julio for the past couple or the last couple weeks of the season, seeing him get lit up by the Royals in that last regular season start, um, giving up the winning run in Game 4. In the NLDS, even knowing that he's like Jekyll and Hyde every time he takes the mound, I have loved Julio Tehran for a long time. And when the official word came down that they declined his option, I just, oh, I have giant sadness. It's giant. So... Well, if if you'd like to give me to give you a little bit of silver lining, don't fret. It doesn't mean that he's going to be gone. I know they have already mentioned they've they've already mentioned that there's there's interest in bringing him back. There, there's potential interest in bringing him back. My guess is they're going to try to do the same thing that they did with Flowers and Marcakis. Now, obviously, Julio will go out there and see if somebody will pay him ten million to be a fifth starter and eat innings. Um, and if he can find it, good for him. I mean, he's earned his payday. He's been a good soldier for better part of what 1400 innings on his arm i mean he's he's got a lot of work in on him now uh for the better part of seven years i think um since 2000 2012 i think was his rookie season so he, he, he's got a lot invested now uh if they bring him back and they can bring him back at a number like 
five, six million, then then you're talking about a much more palatable Julio Tehran. Uh, and they're letting him go out and check his market value is fine. You could still see somebody like the Angels who are really desperate for pitching want to grab him because he is good with other pitchers. Uh, he's a really good presence in that clubhouse too. But um, if that is the last pitch that Julio Tehran threw in a Braves uniform, I think he's going to be one of the – He's going to be one of the more misremembered Braves. I think everybody's going to remember him for what happened at the end uh, and not really the whole scope of work. But salutations to him. Hope he, hope he finds something good. And if he goes anywhere, hope he goes. I kind of hope he goes to the Angels since they are kind of the Braves West. Um, but never fear, Doc. You could still see him back. That's true. And and that, that's the thing about it being being so early. You know, they, they weren't going to bring Marquecas back after after 2018 and then they brought it back and then they brought him back again. So, you know, th- there's nothing saying for certain that this is the end of the line for Julio. It's just, you know, even for, I think that part of the reason why Marcakis has such a cult following is because he, he has, I mean, at this point, my God, he's been here for half a decade. So Julio has been around for an entire decade longer than, you know, if you go back, go back to his prospect days. So, it's it's just a tough pill to swallow. The reality. It's like when you you break up with somebody and you're in that 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 little window afterwards. You're like, God, is this really it? Is this what it's going to be like from now on? And you know, and sometimes you do something foolish and get back together, and and <laughs> sometimes you just go your separate ways. So remains to be seen on that one. So I kind of hope they bring him back at a discounted rate, but there are plenty of starting pitching options that are going to be out there, and, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, there are a few more. Now, we do have to uh, mine the time here for the segment. But there is something that you and I need to discuss, and uh, it's only fair to all of you out there. Doc and I had our first official fight as a couple. Um, <laughs> what did I do? I can't even remember. You you know what you did. Uh, you didn't. You, you took somebody's side without actually reading my, my original post. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Okay. So... Yeah, I I didn't I thought you were going after I didn't realize you were going after a certain group of people. I thought that you were um doing the exact opposite of that. <laughs> you see, this I'm I'm obviously I'm being caught off guard here. I knew I knew that it did something wrong, but uh, but I didn't know exactly what it was. I would like to apologize. I will forever have your back. But he cited he cited for those of you out there just to, so you guys can know what I'm dealing with. He he cited literally with our competition over me. It's Andy. Um, that's our buddy. He's our competition, but he's our buddy. He's still our competition. He's still our buddy. <laughs> I mean, uh, t- to be fair, it was uh, it, it was misconstrued a little bit, and um, my my original point was kind of lost in the shuffle. And Doc here just assumed that I was bad mouthing the Braves and free agency when I actually didn't mention them at all. Um, but you know, this is not, not my first rodeo with, with your discontent. So <laughs> I just kind of assumed it's not, it's not discontent. It's hurt. I, I would like to apologize, but, <laughs> and, and you were misrepresenting this because last year I seem to remember we wound up having to do an entire music episode because we got into a fight about Pearl Jam, which you're still wrong. That's I'm a hundred percent right. Still wrong. But it was—it's the off season. You roll with it because you've got time to just fill in some content that has nothing to do with baseball. It's fine for those of you that were wondering what the original post was that started the whole King Caboodle. Essentially, all I was saying was those those groups of fans that like to fan police and basically say that if you criticize somebody, you're not a real fan. Um, those guys, th- thats basically who I was calling out. People that are annoying like that that think that 
the only way to be an actual fan is to think that everything is always perfectly fine and happy, despite the fact that the Braves have gone through three GMs in the past, what, past seven years? So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll endeavor and uh, we'll, we'll endure and we'll come out stronger for this. See, there you go. I like the fact that you're already turning this into a positive. It's, it's, if you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah, you see, there you go. And, I mean, it, it's okay to, to criticize the front office. And, you know, there's some people that take it a little farther and say, you know, question everything. Like, you don't have to question everything. But, you know, when, you know, it's, it is early in the offseason. So we'll, we'll take the, the Marquegas thing or the Flowers thing. And, and there's so many questions about, like, okay, so what next? You know what I mean? There's always that question is, is this it? What comes after this? Does something even come after this at all? <laughs> That's the thing. As long as there is a next, then we're okay. Right. And and based on what happened but the, last off. That's what happened last year. So, okay. And right. next? And and there just wasn't a next. There was Marcakis and or there was Donaldson and McCann, and then there was like two months of nothing while we kept hearing every day, nah, nah, there's still two months in the offseason. They're fine. Nah, there's still a month left in free agency. They're fine. There's still two weeks. They're fine. Oh. And what did they do? During spring training, they went up and they got Matt Joyce and Josh Tomlin. <laughs> so <laughs> that, was, that was it. Never too late. But, but, uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens on that front. Just kind of in sticking with the Marcakis thing, I do have one other point for those of you that are still really upset about it. Uh, if you want a silver lining involved with the whole Marcakis signing and using him, if they do use him as a true platoon piece, uh, it does speak very well of, of of what the Braves actually think about Pache and Drew Waters and how how ready they are to contribute. Um, and every team's going to tell you that they love their prospects. They're going to tell you that they believe in them 100%, but their actions are always going to speak louder than their words. Uh, and if they do roll in, again, I hope that they upgrade. But if they don't, and you roll into the season with a Marcakis and Duval platoon, you you should feel at least happy enough that Alex thinks one of those two will be ready early in the season because I can I can hopefully assure you I'm about 98% sure that you will not see a Marquez Duval platoon for the entire season oh. that there if if those two start the season there will be one of the two whether it's Waters or Pache kind of depends on whether they're looking defense or what happens with Ender and Ciarte. One of those two will be up, if not both of them. Both of them have a real chance to be up after midseason. Um, Pache has a real chance to make it out of spring training, but Alex has also said that they both need some extra seasoning down there, and Alex has been very true to his word as far as what he feels about when prospects are ready. My guess is, ironically enough, it'll wait till after Super 2 or after um, after the extra year of control before Wadham's brought up. But if Pache goes out there in spring training and has another spring training like he did last year, I won't be shocked to see him make the club opening day. If Drew Waters continues to show that he's just a naturally high BABIP type of guy, then you could see him up around midseason. If, as a corner outfielder who can play center field better than Ronald Acuna, um, or at least on par with Acuna, um, the defensive pressure is taken off if he's hitting. The, the biggest thing is he has the power showing up. But the good news is there is another player that I really want to talk about. We're going to talk about in the second half, a guy that you might not, you might be sleeping on him. You might not, depending on how deep you get in the prospect class. But this is a guy that I, and I really think that everybody should be highlighting right now, shining a spotlight on. He's got a real chance to, to be an actual factor in this team. And if you had asked me uh, at the beginning of last season, I would never have mentioned this guy this early in the season. So, 
that in mind, you guys think about that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about all the guys who got qualifying offers and why this offseason has been so very weird. Coming up next, right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Damn it, Doc. What are you doing, Doc? No, wait, Doc. Doc. No, no, Doc. Hey, Doc, you better back up. There he is, Doc. Oh, uh, this is my uh, Doc. My uncle. Doc. Hey folks, welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero brought to you by our friends at MyBook. You guys know the spiel, but I'm going to do it anyway. If you guys are big into the sports book, if you guys like laying wagers on whatever your favorite sport is, whether that be uh, boxing, whether that be mixed martial arts, and you had a fun time with the Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz scrap, uh, whether it's NFL or college football, as the college football season is starting to wind down, as the first college football playoff projections came out last night uh, if you're angry at, at those and you i think you can actually bet who is going to be ranked where mybookie.ag if you can find it there that would be the one place mybookie.ag has all of the most updated prop bets all the most updated lines anything you can possibly find to lay money on my bookie is going to have it not only that if you're new to the game you don't have to be uh, a, a genius level, a Vegas level gambler to understand what's going on. If you don't know, if you have any questions about anything, you can talk to their customer service and they'll take care of it. They're outstanding customer service. They'll help you with whatever you need. They just want to make sure you have a good time. And of course they want your money, but everybody wants your money. Uh, if you use our promo code uh, armchair, <laughs> use our promo code armchair, they will give you a hundred percent deposit match up to a thousand dollars. That's free money right there, guys. So if, if you're confident in your abilities, you're confident that you can stump the Schwab or, or you can beat the bank, go ahead and test it out. Go to mybookie.ag, use our promo code, play win and have a great time. All right. So a lot that we had to unpack from that first segment there. Um, just kind of doting on that a little bit. We're going to talk about all the qualifying offers here in just a second. Uh, first of all, we got to do our, our weekly thank you to our patrons. Uh, love you guys. Uh, Fletcher Bats for, for coming in as the newest patron. Thank you so much. You have now entered your name in the drawing for the Patron of the Month segment. Uh, thanks again to Darren for coming on with us last week. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to Darren um, get through it and run the extra innings gauntlet. But for those of you out there, if you guys want to become a patron or, or whatever, you can go to patreon.com. Is it slash TPS underscore podcast? That is affirmative. Boom. I finally got it right. That's impressive. I'm proud of myself. Uh, and I'm proud of all of you for listening to the show each and every week for the last year and a half. Uh, really do love you guys. Really do appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. But going back to baseball now, uh, what what I want to talk about first, we can touch on the qualifying offers in a second. That's obviously the biggest story, but we haven't talked about minor leaguers in such a long time. There is one minor leaguer that I know you guys have all heard of, but it's a guy that even though everybody's kind of heard of him, I think what he's doing is still kind of flying under the radar a little bit, and that's Trey Harris. I don't know if he's really getting enough credit for what he's been able to do. I don't know if you feel any differently than I do, but... What Trey Harris has done since being a 32nd round pick out of Missouri is absolutely incredible. Yeah, great story, great guy, very unassuming. Doesn't doesn't really give off that baseball player air. Just he he kind of fits the mold. You hear the Braves talking so much about great clubhouse guys. I mean, he's he's absolutely that. He doesn't have like your traditional baseball player body type. I mean, he's he's a little, little shorter. Like he's, he's kind of in that. Uh, he's not quite in the Dom Smith mold, but he's not too far from it. He's in the Chris Davis mold. Talking Chris Davis as far as Oakland, Chris Davis. Yeah, not not Baltimore, Chris Davis. 
they list him at 5'10". He's about 5'8", and he's probably about 220 pounds. He's got a little paunch on him. Yeah, but he's, yeah. he's super athletic. He's he's actually a really good fielder. He's got a ton of power, just a great hitter. And he's he's older for the level. That's been what everybody was dinging him for last year. He's older than the guys he's playing against, but you can't really fault him for that. I mean, he's just straight up mashing against everybody he's facing, and he just continues to. And it, it, it's about time that people really start to take real notice because Pache and Waters get all the publicity. Ian Anderson gets a lot, too, and for good reason. Those three are outstanding prospects. Those guys are all projected to be at least all-star level prospects. But Trey Harris, I don't I don't know if I'm going to – if I'm going to get some bad karma by bringing up this name, but he's almost given off the, the Luis Gohara vibe that he might get there before the others. That's an interesting comp. I mean, Harris, you know, he, he played at Missouri, so he's an SEC guy. He, he was playing against good competition. He was, a, he was a senior, so yeah, he was a little bit old for the level, and he was, he was crushing it at Rome. He should have been moved up much sooner than he was. And his numbers did fall back a little bit when he went to Florida, but he still earned another promotion to Mississippi. He went out to the Arizona Fall League, hit 281, 354 OBP, 456 slugging, two home runs, four doubles in 57 at-bats. I mean, that's, that's a really strong showing out there. He stole a couple bases. He, it's, it's always, the, there's always some guy that it's like, wow, I never thought that guy would make it. And, and he kind of has that vibe about him where he's just, like I said, very unassuming, kind of reminds me of friend of the program, Jared James, a little bit, where it's just real solid role player type. Now, I don't think, you know, I think the biggest difference between, you know, Waters and Pache, those guys are first division regulars if everything falls right. For Harris, you know, he, he is going to be a little more of a role player type, but the fact that he's he's consistently had to prove himself just over and over and over again, I could see him coming up and, you know, we're going to get into 2020 and a, a piece that, that Mark Bowman put out about opening day roster. I think that Harris has a legit chance to impact the 2020 roster as well. Maybe not opening day necessarily, but I think you could see him in the same way that Rafael Ortega came up last year, just come up and have a spot, like really have a spot on this team. And he's a guy that if, if they do feel that, that say Drew Waters needs some extra work, uh, if they're worried about his BABIP, let's let's say for the sake of argument that Pache's bat's not entirely ready. Harris is a guy that he he might not have the same upside as these guys, but he's shown you what he can do, and he's got a fair bit of power. It's not a ton of power, but he hit 14 homers last year uh, across the three levels that he went to. He rose up three levels last year. Uh, he had a good rock walk rate until he got to double A. Double A kind of tested him a little bit, but usually carries a really high OBP. He's had a really high OBP in the Arizona Fall League. He missed the final game with injury, but uh, over the course of his AFL, he had a 361 OBP. He's just a, a consistently good hitter. He steals bases pretty well. He's not he's not a guy that's going to get you 20 steals, but he got two steals in the AFL. He got let's see, last year he ended up with eight steals total. He's just a guy that can kind of. He does a lot of things, and I don't know if it if it reminds you of um, Dustin Peterson at all, but he I think he has a chance to be what we all kind of wanted Dustin to be. I think a lot of people kind of tried to to act like like Dustin was closer to being that than than what he actually was. But I think Trey Harris is a guy that can actually do that. Trey plays really good defense. He's a lot faster than his size would indicate. He's really good plate discipline, good eye for it. He, he he's just. 
a good player. He's one of these guys that you're going to look up, and he's going to be a part of a major league roster for a long time. He's not necessarily going to be a star, but he's one of these guys that's going to carve out one of these niches, and he's a guy that, that does some things so, so well that he might play on six or seven different teams, but he's a guy that's going to have a valuable role. Absolutely. I mean, and Pipeline currently has him ranked as 18th in the Brave system, and as far as outfielders go, the only ones that are ahead of him are Pache Waters and Grayson Genesta. So I would, and, and this is based on last year, um, the post-trade deadline, I think they did these, or right, right before the trade deadline, maybe. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Harris has jumped Genesta, in, in my opinion here. So... That's not to say that's going to hold for all of next year, but I'm I'm pulling for him as much as anybody, and he had a chance to to do a couple interviews, actually being the interviewer uh, while he was out in the AFL, and he's just he's so joyous. He's just such a fun, happy dude to to see play. It's in it's in that same vein as like Acuna and Ozzy, where it's like, are you ever not having a good time? So keep your eyes out for Trey Harris. I'd be really excited to see what he can do. Um. I, I just I like Trey Harris a lot. I like stories like that. I like guys that don't fit the conventional mold that are able to just go out and, and play ball the way that they can. It's a good mark for, for scouts. It's a really good idea to be able to find somebody because it always ends up kind of amazing me that somebody like that can fall to the 32nd round. But it, it's one of those stories that I'm going to look forward to a lot this year. I, I'm expecting big things from Trey Harris. Whether or not he's ever you know uh, an all-star at the big league level, I don't know. I wouldn't predict that, but... I think he's a guy that that can be very valuable to this Braves team for a number of different ways. He's a guy that can come off the bench. He's a guy that can spot start. He can play either corner outfield spot. I, I, I have a lot of faith in Trey Harris, and I think you'll see him get up to AAA this year. And, and I think you see, I think there's a real chance that you see him on the big league club, uh, especially if somebody goes down with an injury and they don't feel that those two are ready. Trey Harris is the one that I think would get called up um, unless they, they sign somebody, say, say they sign some other Ryan LaMare or something like that. But I, I, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more as the season gets going. We can start to see, uh, as we get a little bit closer to the season, how everybody's kind of shaking out with the minor league teams. We do need to discuss the qualifying offers because that is obviously the biggest news of the offseason so far. And it's a very weird one. Doc, I don't know that I've seen that many players get qualifying offers. It's like the entire top 10, top 15 all got qualifying offers with the exception of like three people. And those people only because they could not actually receive them again. Yeah, absolutely. Guys like Castellanos and Ryu, uh, Yasmani Grandal, those guys would have been slam dunks based on their performance this past year. But they had already uh, had them or got traded in midseason in the the case of, of Castellanos. So, I mean, 10 is a lot. 10 is a lot of qualifying offers, it feels like. And it used to be that no matter what, if it got offered, it was it was getting rejected. 74 out of the 80 qualifying offers coming into this season um, had been rejected. And and even, it was just a couple years ago, I swear, I think it was Jeremy Hellickson was the first one to actually accept one. And we're all like, ooh, you can do that? And now you're looking at guys. The, the full list of guys with qualifying offers is Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, Anthony Rendon, Josh Donaldson. Those four are absolutely rejecting and hitting the market. Marcelo Zuna, you could make the case that maybe he should take it, but he's not, he's not going to. He's going to reject his, right? Oh, Marcelo Zuna is wanting seven years. He's definitely rejecting that offer. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Zach Wheeler, which... 
kind of surprised me a little bit just because if he took it, he'd basically be tripling his salary. Right, you, you and I talked about that because you and I were kind of divided on it. I thought the Mets would actually offer him the QO just because he's he's young enough and he hasn't ever been broke off that he's going to look, especially with the injury history in his past, he's going to look to get years because I don't think anybody would pay him 17.2 a year, but I think that somebody would pay him 15 a year for four years. And he's going to make up the money that way. He's young enough, or his arm is young enough because he's almost 30. He's basically my age. Um, but he, he's young enough in, in terms of innings on his arm that there's still upside left in there. You've seen what happens, and everybody in the world thinks that they can do better than the Mets at unlocking somebody's talent. Um, but a lot of these guys, like Hinjin Ryu kind of threw, he threw a monkey wrench into the Dodgers' plans last year because the original plan was that they were going to get in on bringing back Machado or Harper, one of those two, and then Ryu took the QO, and the Dodgers have been very diligent about making sure they don't go into the luxury tax any more than they absolutely have to, so they kind of shut them down. And Ryu was an outstanding pitcher, but they were expecting him to reject it, and Ryu's like, you know what? I've been injured most of my career. Last year was the only great year I've had, so I'm going to take that 17.8, and I'm going to be happy. Or 18.6 or whatever it was last year. I think you've thrown out four different numbers now. But 17.8 is the number. Moving moving forward, we can stick to 17.8. Essentially, whatever the the average of the 125 highest paid players in baseball is. Right. So, Wheeler, I think Wheeler's going to reject it, hit the market. Even if he stays with the Mets, you're right. Like, he... He's going to wind up tripling his salary if he stays with the Mets. But if if I'm Zach Wheeler and knowing that I missed all of 2015, all of 2016, and most of 2017, he only threw 86 innings that year, that somebody's going to give me four years and 60 million, you know, you overplay your hand at the beginning and say, you know, I want six years and 120. And then you see what happens when, you know, Dallas Keuchel, who won a Cy Young, was asking for money like that or more. And everybody's like, mm, that's real cute, you know, and you... Like I said, you saw what happened to Keuchel. So I think if come January, if Wheeler's looking at somebody giving him four and 60, you take that and you say, thank you very much. I am so rich right now. I can't even fathom how much money that actually is. And that seems like like a low ball deal for somebody like him. So, By the way, I have the numbers in front of me. 17.9 last year was the qualifying offer. This year, 17.8. Right. This is the first time it's ever gone down. Yeah. Which, yeah. which that's that's another thing that the players' association is not real happy about right now, um, it does mean. I mean, it was bound to happen though. I mean, salaries were getting a little bit insane when you considered that um, Zach Granke was getting thirty-four million dollars a year to pitch. Uh, other guys were, were getting Jason Hayward a hundred and eighty million dollar contract after he never really put anything together after getting blasted in the face. Um, you you knew that these salaries are going to curtail themselves, especially as people started to see the direct effects on teams when you got to Albert Pujols getting laid into his career, Miguel Cabrera now. that That's going to be a lot of things. But these qualifying offers are kind of different because a lot of these guys that got these offers, there's a few, there's probably, there's more this year who should take their qualifying offer than I've ever thought in a free agency period. Like guys like Jake Odorizzi, like he would be insane to turn down 17.8. There's no way he's going to get close to that. He's a $13 million guy at best on the normal market. And Jake Odorizzi had a fine season last year. 13 to 14, though, would be his absolute cap. And he's 31, I believe, 31 or 32. So there's not a ton of upside left in his arm either. I, I, if I'm if I'm his agent, I'm telling him, take that thing right now. It's a starting pitcher, so even if he's 
slightly worse than he was last year, he's still going to get a multi-year offer. I mean, it's not like he's a reliever like Will Smith, who we'll talk about in a second. But a lot of these guys, even Wheeler, it would be hard for Wheeler to say no to that money because it is such a huge salary raise. I'm just betting that he'll want to go with a four-year deal and get something guaranteed. Yeah, and and that's one thing. Like the the most stark difference between major league baseball contracts and NFL contracts is the concept of guaranteed money. And in baseball, what you sign for, that is what you get. In football, it's you know he signed for sixty million and thirty three million is guaranteed. Well, that doesn't really sound like a sixty million dollar deal to me. But uh, you know, if I'm Jake Odorizzi, yeah, I am I am taking that money and you know because he, I think he's thirty one. Um, you know, if only there was some tool out there where I could look up how old he was. Uh, but but you know, let's let's say that he's thirty one and he's got X amount of innings left on his arm. You know, he, even if he's going to wind up, he might have to just kind of take smaller deals. I don't think he's going to fall in the same bucket as Keuchel because he's not going to be asking for that same level of money. The way teams draft anymore it is they depend so much. On the draft and manipulating the pool, it used to be that there weren't pools at all. The whole twenty nine, by the way, twenty nine for Odorizzi. Oh, he's twenty nine. Yeah, he's like two months younger than Wheeler. No kidding. Which means he's younger than Bumgarner as well. So that's interesting. I still, I swear, Madison Bumgarner is like sixty years old every time I think. You think so, right? Yeah, but uh, the the way that teams draft anymore, like they they rely so much. They rely so much on the way that they can manipulate their pools and do, you know, the Braves twenty sixteen draft and and the Rays like every every single time out. So it's not even so much about giving them. It's becoming more about about the the money thing. But the draft pick and the associated pool money with that is is what's going to really kill these guys. And yeah, Odorizzi he's been solid yet unspectacular for a very long time. He was good good with Tampa, you know, but it wasn't until this, this was like one of the best years of his entire career. Didn't give up a ton of home runs. Part of it was the fact that he was playing in Minnesota, but I think part of it also has to do with, I mean, he just, in, in the home run era, he really did well for himself. He timed that really, really well. Uh, even if it, he probably didn't do that on purpose, because if, if he could do it on purpose, why wouldn't he just do that all the time? So if I'm Odorizzi, I take the qualifying offer. If I'm Jose Abreu, I could not possibly accept it fast enough. You can get absolutely God. You get you know if you're Eric Thames or you're Matt Adams and you are giving the exact same skill set pretty much just from the opposite side of the plate. I mean, seventeen million dollars for for what Jose Abreu gives. Like you're going to get the same thing out of him every year. You're going to get two seventy, three fifty, four ninety five. Bad defense, thirty home runs or twenty four home runs, which is a fine player. But he would be a more fine player if there weren't 60 other baseball players out there that are exactly like him struggling to find jobs. And he also suffers because he is a right-handed hitting first, right-handed fielding, right-handed hitting first baseman who doesn't walk. So it, it's a little odd that he got offered that. Now he is, from what I from what I've heard through the grapevine, he is a tremendous guy in the clubhouse. Now I know we poo poo that, um, but. It's kind of weird that he got offered that QO because I've, I've been thinking that the White Sox have been trying to get out from under him for years. He's been there six years, six full years, I think, and they love him in Chicago. I, w- I think even if he rejects it, I, I think that he winds up going back there anyway. I think that he's going to ride out the rest of his career in Chicago, even if they're able to work out like a smaller deal like five and – 50 or, or something like that just because I mean because what he 
what he offers is still solid, but but you're right. He he doesn't doesn't walk, and there there's a ton of guys that are just like him. So I take seventeen million dollars this year if I'm him, seventeen point eight as as you did the research on, and you know and and hope that maybe you can you can roll that into some level of what is basically a glorified extension. So it's it's almost like a it's almost like a thank you salary for for sticking through all those horrendous teams with the White Sox and never really looking to leave. Um, but that is an interesting one. The only one that I disagree with, I don't think, I don't think Will Smith is going to take his qualifying offer for a couple. One, he's a closer. Closers always feel like they can get multi year deals. He's one of the top relievers uh, in baseball, not just on this market. And seventeen point eight is a ton for a reliever, but. You saw a lot of relievers last year get in that 11 to $14 million a year range, and none of those guys were quite as good as Will Smith. I would look at Adam Ottavino, who got 11 a year. That's probably the guy who is closest to him in terms of skill sets, but Ottavino got 11 as a setup man. Um, Zach Britton got $13 million per. I think that's a pretty good number. 13 to 14 would be the number I'm looking at for Will Smith, and the ability for him to get three years out of it would be – That'd be a net win for him. And just with, with the inherent volatility in relievers, I don't think that they would like to do qualifying offers because if they have a down season, yeah, they got the, they got the 17.8 that year, but you're going to get, what, two, three the next year because relievers are, are so they're, – they're basically they're thought of as a dime a dozen. And Will Smith is really good. As far, as far as worthy relievers of getting qualifying offers, there are very few that are actually worthy of getting one strictly based on performance. Smith is one of those guys, but and and he similar to the Odorisi versus Keuchel thing. I think Smith. You obviously have to look at Kimbrel being being a a tandem comparison here. I mean, Smith isn't going to go out there asking for six years and a hundred million dollars or however much Kimbrel was looking for. Kimbrel was looking for a lot, and if Kimbrel, who I mean, if we look at his what twenty. 11 to 2014, somewhere around there. We're talking about one of the greatest relievers of all time. Okay, but he overplayed his hand. He tried to get too much money. He sat out till June. And, I mean, you said, Craig Kimbrell has had a very bad calendar year, you know, from, from last <laughs> November to now. It's been really bad for him. He will, he will be very happy when the calendar hits 2020. Yeah, it's, it's, he's got to be excited to turn over some type of new leaf. And I think Smith... Smith can't be a fool about this. If he plays it right, he can actually do okay with with having this qualifying offer attached to him. But like I was just talking about, the way teams draft, people, I don't think that teams are going to be reluctant to give up the money because of the performance they know they're going to get. They're reluctant to give up the pick. And so, and you also, you look at this past year, he made $4.225 million. He has a chance to quadruple his salary and then some. If he if he takes that offer, so strictly from that, I mean, at that point, you're set up for life, you know. And and it's different for peons like you and me who look at seventeen point eight million dollars and say, oh, think of all the things I could do with that, you know. But if I'm him, you look at the realistic contract that you're going to get, you know. Say, say you're going to get three and forty. You gamble on yourself now. You give a giant injection into your bank account and say, okay, here's. You know, if you round, here's $18 million. And then, so you go out on the open market next year, unfettered by a draft pick, and you can you get two years and $22 million? The odds are yes. So, 
I don't know. This is tricky for me. If I if I'm him, I take it. I couldn't take it fast enough. I'm I'm same same thing with Abreu and Odoriti. I I think that I think he's got to, but you know, I think it's a little weird that San Francisco offered him one. Yeah, because I mean, it's not even the money. Like plenty of teams could get around paying him a ton of money for one season, knowing that it's just one season. But it's, it's the draft pick that goes along with it. And you're right. If the teams weren't willing to give up that draft pick for for Dallas Keuchel or for uh, for Yasmani Grandal or Mike Mustakis, why would they be willing, be willing to do that for a reliever? I mean, it, it, it's it's a very odd play. And Farhan Zaidi is a very smart guy, so I, I don't quite know the thought process there. I just have a feeling that they there there's a very significant chance that they get Hinjin Ryu'd and he takes that QO, and then they're still kind of stuck in the same mode they were where they're trying to trade him at the trade deadline. And that's that's kind of the tricky thing too is that you know that that relievers are always hot commodities at the trade deadline as long as they're reasonably priced. Unless that's kind of their thought process of by offering the QO, even if he accepts it, they can deal him at the deadline and get more or get something of more substance than they would for the third round pick that they would receive for him. Giants are in a weird spot. You know, they their farm system has gotten better over the past couple of years, partially because the team has been bad and they've been picking high in the draft. But they And partially because they now have Wunderkind. Brian Bridges oh, dude, there. Brian, we miss you. But like they they're in a position to like you said, Farhan Zaidi, he's he's a very intelligent guy and he knows that they need picks. So they offered two qualifying offers, which ideally will give them two relatively high, you know, somewhere in the top 80s picks depending on the length of contracts and who they you know, all, all these all these different things. So this is good for them. But what do you do if one of the picks that you give to Will Smith, if he turns around and he says, not only do you not get that pick, you also owe me 14 million more than you owed me last year or 13 and a half or whatever. Now the the other guy that they gave it to is Madison Bumgarner. So I think he is pretty much a shoe in. At first I, I wasn't, wasn't positive for the same, same thing as Keigel. He's, he's going to forever be my comparison. Moving uh, moving forward with this, Bumgarner stands to get paid, but I don't think he's going to get paid nearly as much as a lot of people, MLB trade rumors, fan graphs, the crowdsourcing, and even the staff is doing. I I don't think that he's going to wind up getting four and 72. Dude's got 2,000 innings on his arm. That's a lot. That is Dude, 18, 18 million for for what he's doing. That would be no different than what the Cubs did when they signed John Lester, and that has not worked out for them. Lester's been okay, but he ha- he certainly hasn't been worth the money that they've given him. What was that? A seven and one twenty five. I think it was less years and more money than that. Actually, I want to say it was closer to like six and one fifty. Once again, if only there was some place where I could look this up. Let's see. Let's find out. Keep talking. I'll let you know. One, two, three. To quote the. Uh, was it the Tissy Roll? It was the owl, yeah. I don't know why. That, <laughs> yeah, gets into my head all owl the time. Owl was a dick. Six years, $155 million. Yeesh. Yeah. And that, pff, that that does not look like a good one in hindsight. I mean, Lester's been okay. And and he was he was on the team when they won the World Series. He gave one of the... I mean, most, he, the, two, the first two years as a Cub, he was a five-win a five pitcher and a 4.2. 
Then it dropped to three, which is still not bad. But then it was two. And this year he had a kind of a little bit of a resurgence at two point eight. But he also can't throw over to first base, and you know there, there's a whole other mess of stuff. I don't know, man. I I would not give Bumgarner eighteen. I don't. He's a guy that's already had shoulder injuries. He's a guy that we always think of as being like thirty five years old because he's thrown so many innings. And I, I I just think that that's that's not a good a good way to spend eighteen million now. The whole thing of, of the Braves being in on that started with um, Mark Bowman, who put that out in his piece, saying that the Braves are making Madison Bumgarner a priority. Uh, and then Zach Wheeler is also among their uh, their their targets. What I would say to that, Doc, I don't know how you feel about this, but I trust literally nothing I hear about what Alex Anthopoulos wants to do or who he's targeting because we have heard just over the course of the last calendar the last calendar year, maybe a little bit further than that, we've heard Dansby's fine. He'll be back in no time. Dansby was out for the season. Camargo will be back. He'll be fine in about a week or two. He missed the rest of the season. Uh, the Braves wanted to, was it they were going to trade or uh, sign a million different people. None of that happened. Like Basically what happens with, that, with Alex Anthopoulos, whatever he tells you, I, I just kind of assume the opposite. And that's kind of the way I am right now. I don't think that Alex would would tell you exactly what he's looking to offer a guy or tell you who he's making a priority. Alex very much prioritizes having leverage in situations and telling somebody that you're my number one priority. That's not really the best way to go about getting a good deal. Yeah, and this whole this came from it was per league sources, which can mean Anything. I mean, this this could be somebody actually came out and said this and, you know, is unintentionally leaking information that was given to them in confidence. Or, I mean, this could just be somebody saying, isn't Bumgarner from North Carolina? He should go to the Braves. They should make him a priority. And somebody's like, ooh, did they make him pri- a priority? And it, it becomes this giant game of telephone where the next thing you know, this is the type of thing that's getting that's getting published. I mean, you can you can make the case that... And, Last year at the trade deadline, everybody's saying we need Madison. No, we didn't need Madison Bumgarner. We had Madison Bumgarner. That's Dallas Keuchel, right? And and once again, you you give Dallas Keuchel a full off season, you give him a full season to pitch. Who knows how it would have turned out? It didn't turn out that way. We got the version of him that we got, which was to use the same term I've used probably seven times this episode: solid yet unspectacular. It was better than Madison Bumgarner's year. There you go. But at the trade deadline, when you're looking at both trading prospects and taking on money, you have to be smart about that. And everybody always wants to make the connection because Madison Bumgarner is from Hickory, North Carolina, which is in Braves country. That type of stuff doesn't matter in trades. But now this is, you know, everybody grew up watching the Braves because of TBS and, and Ted Turner's empire. So, But I mean, he's actually kind of like from not the heartland. That's... That's a whole other place. But he's, he's from right around the corner, so it's natural to assume to, to make all of these connections. But as far as what it means that the Braves have made him a priority, I mean, this is a front office that has taken major steps forward in the, the analytics game over the past couple years. And it's not to say that Bumgarner wouldn't come here and do fine, but his numbers last year did take a step back, and this happened in a notorious pitcher's park. So coming to a place that's a little more neutral, um, I don't know if it's wise to go out and and start putting these tags on people, you know, referring to certain guys as priorities in the public eye. 
anyway, and I don't know. I mean, do your do your research. I mean, Braves have been out of the playoffs for a month now, so I'm sure that, that they've been looking at this the entire time, and and obviously well before that. But I, I don't think that that he's the type of guy that you let the leak come out if you're absolutely serious that this is going to be the dude. If you're going to let a leak, why wouldn't you? want it to be like a Garrett Cole or somebody that's straight struck out literally everyone. You know what I mean? Like they can, if they have priorities, they should be bigger than this. But I don't know if this is just like a symptom of the off season machine. Unless it's just Alex being devious and saying that he's a priority in case any other team was wanting him, they go after him harder and it leaves the door open for Alex to go after somebody who he really wants. So I, I, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways it can go. It's, it's, it's misinformation season. It's way too early in the offseason to draw any true conclusions based off any of that. One thing I can say, though, is it's going to be interesting because if the Braves are, are going to remain staunch in their not signing guys with qualifying offers, they're basically going to be left out in the cold this free agency. This is going to be one where I kind of think they have to sign a guy with a QL, especially if they're looking for pitching. Unless they want to pony up the money for Hinge and Ryu. But as far as the the guys that did not get qualifying offers, you've got Yasmani Grandal, who should be a big target. You've got Mike Moustakas, who you and I have already talked about previously as being an interesting top uh, as target, especially if Josh Donaldson signs somewhere else. Um, what is it? Uh, Hinge and Ryu's on there as well. And then uh, Nick Castellanos, who I don't think would fit what Alex is looking to, to do necessarily, but that bat would look very nice in the lineup. Uh, and, and then you've got uh, Didi Gregorius. Probably not a real fit, especially coming off of the injury that he had last year. He didn't really have enough time to put forward a full season. Um, if this had been pre-Tommy John, I would have been all over Didi Gregorius because I think he was one of the more underrated shortstops for a long time. But I don't think – shortstop is not necessarily an, a need for Atlanta. Now, I say that knowing full well that like if they were to go after Lindor, somebody like that, of course, Corey Seager – We'd be super happy, and that would be different. But Didi's not. Didi's not an actual type of he and Dan, I look at him and Dansby as being in the same tier of shortstop, essentially. No, and and I can see that. That's just kind of one of those situations where you look at it and say, okay, we're going to get as many good players as we can, and, and eventually go back and sort this out. Dansby showed a lot last year, and there's no doubt. You know, the heel injury and the struggles that he had after he came back from that were kind of disconcerting. Turning it on in the playoffs, showing he still got that he still got that fire. That was good for him. And Didi, you're right. The last this was kind of just a lost year for him. But the last two years leading up to that, man, he was great. So, and I wonder if that's something that they would be willing to to entertain and try and use Dansby to in in some type of trade to offset the prospect cost for the future. You know, just if it meant that I could get a frontline guy by giving up Dansby as opposed to giving up Pache or Waters, I'd do that in a millisecond. Right. And and this is where knowing how other front offices value your players can really come in handy because some people might look at Dansby and say, yes, he is right on the verge of unlocking his potential, which we have all been saying for the past couple of years. And he very well may be. And and I I like Dansby more than more than you do I think but uh, I actually put Didi on this list because I I wanted to to kind of tickle your brain in that area and say like do you would you rather have Didi or would you rather have Dansby I I wouldn't care either way like I said I view them in pretty much the same light I I don't have a real difference between them 
I think uh, I think they're pretty similar. A lot of Didi's power numbers got boosted because he played in a Little League park. Uh, a lot of his home runs a couple years ago, right before the juice ball came into play, a lot of his home runs were uh, were, were flies that were like Alex Gonzalez homers. You remember when Alex Gonzalez was a member of the Blue Jays and he hit 27 homers? I do. And the Braves got him, and people thought he was a 25-homer type of guy. Certain ballparks play differently. Didi, being a left-handed hitter, had that tiny short porch and right, and that's where a lot of his home runs went. If you look at his average home run distance, it was one of the lowest in baseball. Um, I think he's more likely a seventeen to seven, fifteen to seventeen home run type of guy. The juice ball could make him closer to twenty, but I think he and Dansby have comparable power. Um, Dansby's is more usable because it's it's more geared towards uh, right center instead of dead right. I think Didi is a better shortstop, uh, and, and a lot of the new metrics will bear that out. Now, they are coming out with a new defensive metric. For those of you that wonder how you can see Dansby make a great play, uh, and yet his defense is is rated pretty much pretty below average, um, th- there, is a, there is a new statistic coming out that's going to incorporate uh, the shifting in the positioning into the DRS metric. That'll be from the fielding Bible. Uh, that, that'll be up fairly. I don't know when it'll be up, but it should be up here. Um, if not in December next year, um, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care. like if they use Dansby to bring a frontline starter, I'd be fine. I mean, upgrading from Dansby is not, it's not on my top three things that you have to do. I think he's, he's fine. I think he, he doesn't have to be like, not everybody on your team has to be a superstar. I mean, that's, that's for video games and fantasy. That's not that's not really a, a real thing. Uh, I, I think they're comfortable with what Dansby does. They don't have to pay him a ton of money. Even if they were going to extend him, he's not the type of guy that's going to get broke off in an extension. Uh, I, I think he's a guy that they can, when he's on the field, they can count on a certain level of production. The difference in Dansby is the, the swings that he has. He needs to find a little bit more consistency one way or the other because he's got his highs and lows are, are the, the disparity between them is too much right now I think that's the biggest the biggest difference when he goes cold he goes ice cold but would it mean that I would give Didi Gregorius nine mil a year probably not not unless I knew that that I could use Dansby to get a frontline starter and and this is where the the offseason goes from checkers into chess and and the best thing about Dansby right now is the fact that he you know he's going into ARB one now he's going to make three million dollars even even if he was a candidate for an extension I mean he probably is but even if you were to get extended one then you're not looking you're probably looking at something that's much closer to Ozzy's deal you know what I mean not not to say that he couldn't do slightly better because he might hold out for a little bit more but you know if you're getting somewhat comparable production between Didi and Dansby. And the difference is $6 million a year. Well, I mean, stick with the hometown kid with the gorgeous hair. I mean, unless you want to tell me that you can you can offer him to the Diamondbacks straight up and get Robbie Ray or something like that. Wouldn't that be something if Dansby wound up going back out west? And and I'm just using Robbie Ray because that's honestly that's one of the only few Diamondbacks pitchers I can call off the top of my head. I like Tywin Walker, but I would want something else – something else in that maybe if you wanted Zach Gallen, if you believe in Zach Gallen, but I, I think you see Dansby stay I think um, I, I think the Braves have more pressing needs my my last question before we end the show for this week how does the abundance of qualifying offers in your mind affect the Braves offseason now obviously this is way too early to draw any true 100% conclusions but we are paid essentially to to give our opinions so what what's your first impression for for how the 
just mammoth amount of qualifying offers is going to affect this offseason? Uh, well, we talked a lot about the guys that, that should probably take theirs, uh, regardless of whether they do or not. You know, I, I think that there, there's definitely a reason for 60% of these guys to take theirs or 70% of these guys to, to take their qualifying offer. And the fact that Donaldson has one kind of insulates the Braves to get a little creative. You know, they, they do have Austin Riley and, and, you know, he, for about six weeks, he looked like he was going to be hitting better than Donaldson for the rest of the season. And then, then you kind of saw what happened. If they do wind up getting creative, if they let Donaldson walk and, and once again, we'll just use, just use Bumgarner, then it fills a need. And when you look at where the Braves would sacrifice the pick that they would give up to get Bumgarner and the one that they would recoup if Donaldson leaves, it it's not that big of a difference in in the slot that they would draft, and also not so much in the pool money because if you slide it back ten picks, I mean, what's what's the difference? Like hundred grand, if that. I mean, it's kind of a drop in the bucket when you're dealing with like a twelve million dollar pool. So, I. I mean, they're not going to go after these big name guys. Like, they're not. Garrett Cole's not coming here. Steven Strasburg's not coming here. Anthony Rendon probably has the the best shot out of all of these guys, just because he's got some level of history with the team. But I don't know. I I, don't, I think that that there's there's so many, and there's there's a couple of these guys that are that are clear fits. So if if nothing else, it just gives them the ability to get kind of creative. Best case scenario, they bring back Donaldson, and and they they work from there. They're not pinning it on, oh, we can almost break even if we let Josh walk and then we can sign one of these other big guys. I mean, I would I would rather them just not have a second round pick because they brought in Donaldson and one of these other guys like Ozuna or Wheeler or somebody. So it's a lot. This, this is weird. During the next uh, collective bargaining agreement negotiations, this whole system's got to get, get tweaked a little bit. It's starting to just show the chinks in the armor it, it really is and for now i'm leaning towards i i don't think that uh i don't think that the braves i think they'll go after one guy with a qualifying offer and i think if i were to make an early preseason early early free agency guess mine would be zach wheeler uh, i think that he's labored with the mets for too long that one, being with the Mets will make you worse than you actually are. But I wouldn't be shocked to see the Braves more involved in actual trades this offseason than free agency. I think they could go after a guy like Grandall. I think that's I think Grandall is probably their number one target right now. Um, but I think you could see something like that. And I think you could see I think the trading market, whether that means Austin Riley or one of the scarier things, one of Pache or Waters, something something like that. I, I think you'll see a trade this year involving one of the big name prospects. Alex is a guy that likes to pull the trigger, and it's been Unless, unless he really is, like I have mentioned months and months ago, unless he really is terrified now because he gave up Noah Syndergaard for R.A. Dickey. Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darno for R.A. Dickey. Uh, I, I think this is the offseason you'd see him make a deal. But we've reached the end of our show for today. I'm not going to pontificate any further about what is or isn't going to happen until we get a little bit farther into free agency. We'll start to see how things shake out. I think how aggressive other people will be will determine how aggressive the Braves will be. Um, but for now. We're going to leave that off there, leave you guys with some questions. If you guys have any other thought processes that we didn't get to today, feel free to drop us a line as well. Thank you guys for listening. Doc, thank you for joining me, as always. Always a pleasure. And one more thing. I'm sorry we fought. (laughs) I'm sorry, too. Let's never do that again. Um, (laughs) I take it all back. (laughs) But thank you guys so much. It's a ton of fun. We always appreciate you guys listening. 
We'll be back next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. (laughs) 